Today we're going to continue through our book of, uh, the book of Acts series as we're working our way like a turtle through the book of Acts. Okay, some people thought we might get all the way to the end. There are 28 chapters. That would take someone like me about five years to do that, okay? Um, but so we're working through the book of Acts, and today uh, we're stepping into chapter 3. And I'm excited about today. I'm excited because we're going to talk about a topic that is dear to my heart, and it's the topic of divine healing. And I, I want to say this to start us today. Sickness is to the body what sin is to the soul, and both were paid for by the blood of Jesus. Amen? The Bible tells in the book of Psalms 103, verse 2 and 3, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name, and forget not His benefits, who forgives all of our sins, and who heals all of our diseases. And so we're going to talk through this today, and most likely, I don't think we're going to have enough time today to finish what I want to talk about. So we're going to do this over two weekends. Um, we'll do this week. We'll have Red Frog Sunday next week. And then the following Sunday, I'm going to follow up with part two of this. And part two, we're going to talk a lot around, um, let me say this. The, strangely, one of the more controversial things that we can talk about is the power of God to heal sickness and disease. And the reason it can be controversial is because a lot of us have experienced loss in the area of sickness and disease. And we've had people we love and care about who we've prayed for with a fervent, passionate faith and yet not seen the result we were desiring. And so today, I'm not going to focus too much on this, but come in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about and have a discussion around the times that people aren't healed and what does that look like through the scripture and how do we manage that as God's people and if time give us any room on that week I would like to uh, open up the service for a live question and answer where you can throw questions at me and try and trip me up or just be genuinely purposeful in trying to figure out and understand what God's doing what does it look like in the scripture so that'll be on the following uh, sermon but today I want to focus in on the power of God to heal. I want to focus on the power of Jesus to heal, and I want to focus on the power of Jesus to heal through people like you and through people like me. And I want us to see that when it comes to the miracle of healing in the Bible, that Jesus always does the healing, that Jesus always gets the glory, and that you and I get to participate in that activity. And... Um, the idea of divine healing or the theology of divine healing is often pushed aside or considered uh, to be uh, unimportant or non-essential. And, and the reason that this happens is that people either don't want to deal with it, they don't believe in it, it's too much to handle, we can't get our minds past this idea. But the, really, the, the idea of it and the theology of divine healing is, really just means the, the restoring of health through the, the direct intervention of God. Now, there's obviously healing through doctors and healing through medicine, and we're thankful for all those things. We're grateful for all those things. But the idea of divine healing is the direct intervention of God to heal somebody's body, mind, or spirit. It's often considered unimportant or non-essential, but the truth of the matter is this, that it was important to Jesus it was essential, even dare I say critical, to the life and ministry of Jesus. And I want to tell you that 
we, it, it's important for us to realize this because if it's important to Jesus, then it should be important to us. Amen? Because if we're all about Jesus, then we need to be all about Jesus. Um, through the Gospels, which are the four books of the Bible that give the eyewitness accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see Jesus heals 37 individual people that came to him for healings. That includes the 10 lepers. We also see beyond those 37 that there were multitudes, many multitudes that came to Jesus and the Bible says that he healed them all. So everybody that it talks about, Jesus healed 37 individuals and then many multitudes of people were healed through Jesus. And so it would appear that in the life and ministry of Jesus, that healing, divine healing, is an important, essential, and even critical part of his ministry. We also need to notice in the book of John, it tells us that, that everything we see in the Gospels is not an exhausted list of the things that Jesus did. It was a summary. It was the divinely chosen stories and testimonies that the Bible chose to tell us. But it says in the book of John that if we were to record everything that Jesus did, it says that I suppose that the world itself could not contain how many books would be written. Obviously speaking hyperbole to give an over-exaggerated point to prove the point that what he did was huge. There was so much he did. This is not an exhausted list of what Jesus did. But what we do see is 37 individuals plus many multitudes of people were healed. And so the gospel is all about Jesus. Jesus was all about healing. We are all about Jesus. So I suppose that we should be all about healing. Amen? Now I want to ask us some questions. The first question I want to ask is this. Who here this morning um, is in need of a miracle of healing either in their body or their mind? Just with showing of hands. People who are believing there's something in their body like I need a miracle in that area. Okay. Who here um, knows somebody that is in need of a miracle in their body or in their mind. All right, now I'll ask this question. Who here has lost somebody through sickness or disease in their body or mind? They know someone close to them who they lost due to sickness and disease. Okay, so if you raise your hand up in any three of those areas, just put it up again for me. And everybody look around the room because that's everybody. And so the reason I ask this question is because this is why it's important that we believe that Jesus heals people today. There are many reasons why people get sick while, while sickness and diseases come into the world. And we're going to look at that in the second part of this sermon uh, series. But I want us to notice it's a big deal and God's plan for humanity is not that we would suffer in sickness. It's not that we would die from sickness and disease. That was not the original plan, but we know that sin entered the world and through sin entering the world, there was death. And so we know that this is not the desired way. Who, who loves living sick? I mean, really? Anybody enjoy that? I mean, we, we don't. And so the, it's important that this is why I believe it's important for us as a people of God to believe in the divine intervention of God to eradicate or alleviate people from sickness, disease, suffering, and torment where possible. Amen? 
So now I want us to go to our Bibles, which we've learned over the last couple of weeks is the verbal, plenary, inspired Word of God. That means that every word in the entire Bible was inspired and written by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to open up to the book of Acts chapter 3, book of the book of Acts chapter 3. And last week, we had a look at the church, the, the early church of Christ, and we saw that the Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they were devoted, they were committed to the Word of God. They were committed to the worship of God. They were committed to the fellowship or the togetherness of Christians, and they were committed to evangelism, reaching unsaved people. But one verse we probably brushed over was verse 43, and it won't be on the screen, but it said this. It says, in awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. What I want us to understand is that when it gave this description in verse 43, this was a description of everything that was happening in the early church, and it says signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. And so in Acts chapter 3 is where we get our first look, our first read, into the first miracle of healing recorded in the book of Acts. Now, what's cool about the book of Acts and the Gospels is that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, miracles were happening through Jesus to men. So Jesus was healing people. In the book of Acts, Jesus is healing people through men. So the book of the Gospels was that Jesus was doing all the healing. And the book of Acts, they're now, the, the Christians, the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They are empowered with power, miraculous, explosive power to be witnesses of Jesus. And so Jesus was doing the healing to people, but now Jesus is doing the healing through his people. We have to always keep in mind and remember that Jesus is always the one doing the healing. One of the reasons that faith healing or miraculous healing through Christians has gotten so much controversy and criticism is because people have put it upon themselves as the healer, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It's sort of led to being all about the man of God rather than the man who submitted to God. And with doing that, it's caused controversy, but it's important. Just because there's criticism, just because there's controversy, doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Amen? We get rid of the bathwater, we fix the, we correct the issues, and we do our best to be humble servants of God who want to see Him continue to heal through His people today. Amen? I'm going really fast because I want to pray for people at the end. And if I'm not careful, I'll talk for an hour and we'll have no time to pray for anybody and that would be bad. Jesus did the miracles in the book of Acts. He did them through people, sorry, in the Gospels, and Jesus did them through people in the book of Acts, which takes us to chapter 3, and I'm very quickly going to give you an overview of what chapter 3 talks about. In the book, in chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, we see the story or the recorded history of the healing of a lame man, a man who couldn't walk was healed, and the response to his healing was a crowd gathered, a big crowd. And then verse uh, 11 through 16, we see Peter. Now, Peter's a preacher. Peter likes to preach. He's always the one we see in the early church when there's an opportunity to talk. 
he takes it. Does anybody else know someone like that who's always trying to be the one talking? And you can't, you can't count me in that hand raising, okay? There's some people that just like to talk. There are some people that like to be heard. If there's a table, they'll stand on it. My daughter's one of them. If you've ever been around my daughter, if, she, if, if we let her perform, she would be up here. I mean, she loves it. Some people like it. This is Peter. Peter sees a miracle in 11 through 16. A crowd gathers and he thinks to himself, what a great opportunity to preach. So Peter then begins to preach the gospel of the resurrected King Jesus. Again, we understand through the book of Acts, the preaching, the sermons that are written down are summaries of what was preached or what was spoken because they often would preach very long like Pastor Joel, but these are summaries, okay? They're shortened versions. But Peter essentially starts preaching, but he makes very clear early in his sermon to the crowd that gathered that it was not him or John that healed the man, but it was Jesus. Verse 17 to 26, Peter finishes preaching about the resurrected Jesus, and he leaves them with this powerful line. It's the last line in chapter 3. It's verse 26, and this is what it says. It says, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He presents them and finishes with this opportunity to say that Jesus came to bless you and turn you from your wicked ways ways. He preaches about Jesus and he offers people an opportunity to receive Jesus because sickness is to the body what sin is to the soul. And Jesus came to heal the sick, but even more importantly, he came to save your soul. Because we'll learn over the next couple weeks, but not everybody will probably be healed here on earth. But there will be a day that comes when we're finished with this life. We're living in heaven. There'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more mourning, where everything will be restored. And that day will come. But until that day, we believe for healing, but we're desperate for people to be saved. Amen? And so it gets us there, and we see that Peter presents this opportunity for salvation. And we're going to jump a little bit into Acts 4 here. But what we'll see is that after Peter preaches, it continues to chapter 4, and the church grows from roughly 3,000 to about 5,000 men. When it says men here, it's talking that there are 5,000 males who have now been saved, which would suggest that the church had grown from 3,000 to roughly about 10,000 thousand people now in the early church. Things were growing. People say we're not supposed to count numbers, not about numbers, blah, blah, blah. In the book of Acts, Luke is recording the growth of the church, not for bragging rights, but to tell us that something is happening. A movement is growing. We are part of the Jesus people, and we want to win the world. Amen? Part of being a Christian is that we are a proselytizing faith. That means we want to tell people about Jesus and we want people to join our faith. Some people say, well, you know, religion, keep it to yourself. That's not Jesus Christians. We should be telling the whole world about Jesus because he's the hope of humanity. And if we know and believe that he is the hope of humanity, he's the healer of our sinful hearts, how dare we keep it from the world when we have such a gift to offer, Amen. And so that leads us to the Acts chapter, that's the overview, sorry, of chapter 3. A miracle happens, Peter starts preaching, he continues preaching, and a few thousand people are saved and added to the church. 
I want us to spend the next couple minutes going through and unpacking this miracle in verse, uh, in chapter 3, 1, verse 10. And hopefully we'll talk a little bit more broadly about the topic of healing. And then we want to take some time to pray for people, to see people get healed. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verses 1. This is what it says. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This is about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. What we see here is that there is a man who was crippled, lame from birth. He was born crippled. He never had the privilege nor the ability to be able to walk on his own feet. And so daily, he relied upon friends and family to carry him to this place called the beautiful gate at the entry place of the temple of Jerusalem. Now, the, the gate here is a big, beautiful gate, hence its name, covered in gold. Okay, this wasn't, you know, normally I think of these gates in ancient times and it's a little old gate. This is a huge gate covered in gold, and this is where they would lay him at the hour of prayer because it was a great time to beg for money. If you're going to be someone who relies on donations as people walk past you, you want to be somewhere busy. And so that's what happens here because daily at the hour of prayer, about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Christians and Jews would head to the temple to pray. And so this was a prime time for people to give uh, towards this man who was unable to walk. He had no way of making money. And so there he was relying on God's people for provision. What happens now, we have this setting where it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the gate beautiful, there are crowds everywhere. It's like God was setting up something significant. Because this man was laid daily at the gate beautiful, which means a lot of people knew who he was. A lot of people knew that he was around. And so there comes Peter and John on their way to prayer and this man looks up at them asking for alms, which is money. But then something amazing happens. Then God decides to intervene and do something super, supernatural. So we finish there that it's the man lame from birth. Uh, he, was, he was being carried whom they laid at the gate beautiful, that is called beautiful, sorry, beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, money. And Peter directed his gaze at, at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. It's important to note that expectation in the presence of God is a powerful tool. Although this passage is not directly talking about the expectation that we would talk about because he's expecting money, but expecting, the, the, having an expectant spirit, coming to church expecting to God to do something is a, play, a, a way to posture yourself to receive all that God has for you. So as we come to church on Sundays, I pray that you're expecting God to do something in you or at least around you or even potentially through you, but being expectant people. 
It says he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It says, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. I want us to see here that this is not a made-up story. This is a lame man, born crippled, born lame, from birth, has been lame for years, reaches up to receive money to, to survive on, and Peter and John say, silver and gold we do not have, but I have something better for you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he's specific with the name because he wants people to know who's doing the miracle. It's not just a guy called Jesus. It's not just me, the apostle. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, making it clear that he's talking about the one that you all crucified because he said that he was God. It is in his name, and he commanded the man. He said, in Jesus' name. That's where the authority comes from. And he said, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. I want us to see a few things here that happened. When it comes to ministering to people, we have to remember that they're people, not projects. Okay, one of the biggest issues that I see with people desiring to heal the sick and see God move powerfully is that they think that the next testimony is going to be a notch on their testimony belt to make themselves look good. We're not here for just to get testimonies because they're people, not projects. The person in front of you is the most important thing in the whole process. People often say, what happens if I pray for somebody I don't know and they don't get healed? And I'm like, well, would you love them? Are you caring for them or do you just want a testimony to brag about? Even in a righteous bragging about, remembering that it's their people, not projects. And so when we realize that, we come humbly to serve them, not to use them so I can put it on the internet to tell somebody how good I am because of Jesus. And so we're understanding that, that we, Peter and John acknowledged the man. You ever walked past a beggar or someone who's looking for money and you don't have money to give them? Normally you try and avoid eye contact at all costs, right? It's just naturally like, oh man, I, I don't, I've made, you know, I've lived in some places where it's very common, where, you know, you go to where I lived in Africa and every street corner there are people begging for money. I know in Nashville, it's here, there are people hungry on the street corners at the traffic lights every time. And what happened is I learned real quickly that, that I don't want to avoid them as people. And so if I come into contact or close proximity with someone who's asking for money, if I don't have it to give to them right there and then, or I've decided I'm not going to give it to them right there and then, I will still look them in the eyes and acknowledge them as people and say, I'm sorry, I don't have that for you today and continue on my journey. Remember that as you go as believers. People say you shouldn't give to beggars because you don't know where they're going to use their money. That's right, you don't know. But you make presumptions based on their circumstance that they're probably going to use it on this, that, and the other thing, and you seek the worst, not the best. I want to encourage you as the people of God, if you feel prompted to give to a beggar or a homeless person and you want to give, Forget what they're going to spend it. Just do what Jesus is asking you to do. That's generosity. They may use it for wrong reasons, but that's not up to you. 
I remember I had a guitar. It was a Taylor 814. If you know anything about guitars, that's a really good guitar. It costs about $4,000. I remember a man who was in an alcoholics recovery program, and I looked at him, and he was looking at my guitar because I was singing worship, and I looked at him, and he's like, man, that's an awesome guitar. And I was like, it is. And I felt the Lord say to me, give it to him. Now that's a bit of a, because we're going to find four more grand to buy another guitar, right? And, and so there he was, and I, he was looking at it, and I was like, man, it's an instrument of worship. I said, but I'd love you to have it. Now, he doesn't know what it's worth. He just knows it's a nice-looking guitar. And I said, I'd love you to have it. He was over the moon, couldn't, Im- couldn't believe it was happening. And I said, man, I'd love you to have it. Gave it to him. I was excited. I felt the adrenaline rush of what it what, it, what you feel to give something that really cost you something because I love this thing and I gave it and I was excited but nervous and excited and I gave it to him. The next week, the guy who runs the program that we were ministering and said, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm really sorry to let you know. I can't remember his name. Let's call him Johnny. Johnny fell back into temptation and he took your guitar to cash converters and got 200 bucks for it and spent it on drugs and alcohol. He said, I just want you to know and I was like, thank you for telling me. Some things you'd rather not know, you know? And I remember going, oh. And so I called every cash converters in town trying to find it. I'd happily pay whatever they were just to get it back. And I remember sitting in my room just disappointed and saying, God, what on earth just happened? And I felt the Lord say to me, did I ask you to give it? Or did I ask you to give it to him based on what he would do with it? And I was like, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. And I moved on, and I realized that my position of obedience was far greater than the sacrifice that I had to make, regardless of what he did with it. Now, I'm not saying give to every beggar you see. I'm saying treat them as people. They're people, not projects. You don't know what the journey is. I know when I first got here, driving out of Kroger, there was a young lady with her little baby, and I had cash in my pocket. If you don't want to give away money, don't put cash in your pocket. Because when Jesus asks you to give, you're like, oh, I don't have any cash. But I remember I had 500 bucks in my pocket. Someone had just given it to me. Actually, someone from this church had given me some money as a blessing for me first arrived. It was in my pocket, and I felt God say, so into your city. And so I took out this cash, rolled out my window, and she got the shock of her life. But it's called being a witness of Jesus. So remembering that people are people, people are not projects. They're not just a notch on our belt so we can have good testimonies. Amen. The man looked up at them to receive something, and then Peter says to him and crushes his dreams. You know when someone wants food and you're like, I don't have food. Uh, I, but Peter says, I don't have silver and gold. And you can imagine the man like, I've got their attention. They're talking to me. This is going to be a good day. And Peter says, silver and gold we do not have. But he said, I've got something better for you. You see, we think money solves all the world's problems, but it's not true. Jesus does. Money is a tool can be used for good or for evil. But Jesus, he says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he said, rise up and walk. Peter prayed and commanded the man to be healed. And then Peter acted by, it says that he took him by the hand and he lifted him up off the ground. I want to tell you something. We believe that Jesus heals people. The proof of our believing 
is that we will do something about it after we pray. You see, that guy wasn't expecting to be healed. He wanted money, but Peter prayed, and the man was healed. And so Peter took him by the hand and said, stand up. And as he did, the Bible says, strength returned to his ankles and his legs, and he was healed. If you've been a part of our church for five seconds, you'll know that when we pray for the sick, we often try and ask people to test it, to do something they couldn't do before, to see if it worked because we, pr- we believe that when we pray, it works. We know it doesn't work every time we pray, but we're believing and hoping that it will happen every time that we pray. And so the sense of our action is the proof that we're willing to not have it be about our reputation, but be all about Jesus. And if it's not about our reputation, if I pray for you and you're not healed, I'm not going to feel ashamed. I'm going to keep standing with you till the miracle happens. And so he helped them up, and it says that strength was so, uh, he, he immediately he was healed, and his feet and ankles were made Strong. Verse 8, it says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is a beautiful picture because there was a man born lame, looking for money. These Holy Spirit-empowered Jesus freaks walked up to the gate temple and instead of giving him money, said, I want to give you something else. And he said, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. Now, a lame man who couldn't walk was walking and leaping and praising God. What's really cool about it is this is a fulfillment of prophecy that was spoken in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verse 5. And it says, then will the eyes of the, speaking of the messianic age, that's the age of Jesus. It says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Verse 6 says, and then the lame man will leap like a deer. Prophetic picture of what Isaiah prophesied that in the age of Jesus, we're carrying on Jesus' mission. The lame man will leap like a deer. Verse 9 says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. A lame man was healed. The crowd gathered. They They were the witnesses. They recognized this is the guy who's been lame and now he's walking and the miracle produced in them wonder and awe and worship to God for the miracle that had happened. I want to go through very quickly seven reasons why Jesus heals. Number one is this, it's in his nature. We see in the book of Exodus chapter 15, 26, the Bible, it talks about how God says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, that heals thee. It's in his nature, it's who he is, he's Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals. Why does Jesus heal? Because it's who he is. It's in his nature. He is the Lord who heals. Anybody thankful that we serve Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals? Number two is this. It's the love of God being expressed through the power of God. Jesus heals because it's the love of God expressed through the power of God. This man who was standing at the gate, beautiful, was loved by God 
because God saw him and God healed him. John 3.17 says that God did not send Jesus to condemn the world. So this is the passage of, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to save the world. Not to condemn the world, but in order that through him, the world might be saved, which is the word sozo, which essentially can be made up with saved, healed, and delivered. This was an act of love through the uh, the, sorry, an act of love through the power of God to heal. Number one, it's who he is. Number two, it's the love of God being expressed through the power of God. Number three, the reason that Jesus heals is to show compassion. Where compassion acts to alleviate suffering, it becomes mercy. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus walks up and there is a group of sick people, and the Bible says that he had compassion for them, so he went and healed them all of all their sickness and all their disease. He had, a, he had compassion in his heart, and he acted in mercy to alleviate and alleviate the suffering that was in front of him. It's who he is. It's his love being expressed through his power. He does it because he's a compassionate, merciful God. Number four, it reveals his kingdom. In Luke 10, 9, uh, it says that he went in and he, he healed this. He, he was sending out his disciples. He says, go in, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We are not living in the fullness of what God has for us, but we have breakthroughs. We have pockets of his miraculous signs and wonders. I said before, there will be a day where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. But until that day, we bring heaven to earth. We activate it by faith. We heal the sick and we tell people it's because God's kingdom is at hand. It's within reach and it's available to us. Reason number four is it reveals the kingdom of God here on earth. Number five is it's a witness to non-believers. Very quickly, I remember going to a little town in Indonesia. We went to this town in Indonesia. It was a tiny little town, and we went to the marketplace. It was a busy, very busy marketplace. We're in a very poor community, and it was a busy marketplace. And me and some friends, we went there, and we just began to pray for people. One guy came forward. He had a problem with his knee. And so we stood down and we prayed with him in the middle of the street, in the middle of the dirt. And immediately his knee was healed. And he was ecstatic. He was celebrating. He was telling people. A crowd gathered. For the next two hours, we were immersed in a multitude of people. And we saw hundreds of people physically healed. We had people's skin diseases disappearing. My friend Mark placed his hand on a guy's tumor and it disappeared under his hand. I prayed for a man who was mute and couldn't speak and he began to speak. I prayed for a man who was deaf and couldn't hear and he began to hear. I prayed for a man who had frozen shoulder, which means his shoulder was stuck like this. And we prayed and God loosed the pain of his shoulder, released it, and he began waving his arms around, praising 
God. It's like we see in the book of Acts. A miracle was performed. A crowd gathered. So he jumped up on one of the, the, air, one of the, the things that was close by. We were above the crowd. And we preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus saved sinners. He's come to you in this town today to tell you all about him. It was a witness to the lost. And we saw over 300 people respond to Jesus in the middle of the street. Come on, that, this is what it's all about. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his love being expressed through his power it reveals his kingdom it shows his compassion and his mercy and it's a witness to the world of who Jesus is it validates God's servants the same thing happened is that they listened to the word we were saying in that little moment because people were being miraculously healed it gave them ears to hear what the servants of God were saying. And if we do it in a pure, biblical way, we'll give all the glory to Jesus. And we'll tell them all about Jesus who healed them. And everything transformed their lives. They were saved. And ultimately, it validated the message that we preach. And number seven is, ultimately, it brings glory, honor, and worship to God. Acts chapter 3 through 16, Peter preaches. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our father, was glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided, so when he had decided to release him. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are all witnesses. So he's preaching about Jesus. He says, why do you think we have the power to heal? And verse 16, he says this powerful statement. He says, and in his name, by faith in his name, has made the man strong whom you see and now, see and now, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter is preaching about Jesus, but he's glorifying Jesus as the one who heals. It's faith in Jesus' name, guys, that heals the sick. It's faith that is through Jesus that heals the sick because it's all about Jesus. I want to very quickly dispel this notion because when we talk about faith in Jesus to heal the sick, that's where people feel this level of condemnation. They're like, well, so are you saying if I'm not healed, it's because I didn't have enough faith? Forget about that kind of thing. Because if you don't have faith, I'm going to stand in faith for you. And we're going to stand together. And if we don't see it happen straight away, look, if I can believe for your miracle, the man at Gate Beautiful, he didn't have any faith. He wanted money. But Peter said, in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. Ministers or people that blame the person they're praying for with the, because they don't have enough faith while they're praying are pathetic. If you've done it, don't do it. Don't blame the other person to self-preserve. Christians are not into self-preservation. We're into self-denial and humility and meekness and kindness. I don't pray for the sick to build a ministry to make my name famous. I pray for the sick because it's the love of God being poured out through the power of God. Jesus heals the sick, Jesus gets the glory, and I get to participate, and so do you. Come on, if you love Jesus, somebody give Him praise this morning. 
we're going to take communion together. And you may have got it hopefully on the way in. The book of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. I started out today by saying sickness is to the body what sin is to the soul, and both were paid for by the blood of Jesus. When we come around communion, we remember Jesus' body that was broken for us. That's the bread. We remember that on the whipping post, he was whipped 39 times. That his body was ripped open, that you could see into his back, his ribs that he was beaten and bruised so that our healing would be paid for, that his blood was poured out on the cross of Calvary for the remission of sins, for the salvation of our soul, that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sin. So today we're going to take communion. I've asked the team to sing a song. And we're going to take it and we're going to remember Jesus' body that was broken. And remember his blood that was poured out for you and for me. So that 2,000 odd years later, the power of Jesus to save is still here. Jesus saves sin. The power of Jesus to heal is still with us. Through his broken body, by his stripes we were healed.